Sunday Messages podcast from Cedar Valley Unitarian Universalists in Cedar Falls, Iowa, and I'm your host, Kat Bean Hansen. Welcome. We're glad you're here. For this week's message, which was originally given on March 14th, 2021, Pastor Emma Peterson delivers a follow-up to her message about boundaries. This episode is called Our Interdependent Web what interdependence means, especially now that we know about boundaries. Today, we're talking about interdependence. It seemed important today as a follow-up to last week's sermon on boundaries to remind ourselves of the necessity of our interdependence. Well, it is very important to develop delineations of what makes each of us distinctly individual it was equally as important to recognize the necessity of one another. The collective, the all of us, webbed together by our relationships, is literally required for each of our surviving and our thriving. I'm not only talking about the relationships we have to our family and our friends, I'm also talking about the massive global systems of trade, commerce, governance, and infrastructure among other things that all of us rely on to live out our daily lives. I'm talking about supply chains and networks of communication and the highways and the byways that each of us depend on. I'm also talking about Mother Earth herself, the environment and the great chain that links together all living things. I'm talking basically about everything under the sun And of course, if you haven't guessed by now, I'm talking about our seventh principle. The seventh principle of Unitarian Universalism, the respect for the interdependent web of all existence of which we all are a part. I myself prefer the word creation over existence, though I imagine that those who first crafted and installed the seven guiding principles of our faith thought creation sounded a bit too Christological. Interdependence goes all the way down to the molecular level. And while my initial thesis in this sermon concerned how we all need one another as human beings to live full and meaningful lives, we really do need to zoom our lens way out before we return to the closest connections that we can make. The seventh principle of Unitarian Universalism literally encompasses the whole biosphere. What's a biosphere exactly? Wikipedia, and I know that I sound like a seventh grader writing a research paper on a deadline right now, but Wikipedia describes the biosphere as the worldwide sum of all ecosystems. It can also be termed the zone of life on Earth. The biosphere is a virtually is virtually a closed system with regards to matter with minimal inputs and outputs. With regards to energy, it is an open system with photosynthesis capturing solar energy at a rate of around 130 terawatts per year. It is also a self-regulating system close to energetic equilibrium. By the most general biophysiological definition, 
The biosphere is the global ecological system integrating all living beings and their relationships, including their interaction with elements of the lithosphere, cryosphere, hydrosphere, and atmosphere. Now, I have uh, no idea what a terawatt is, but I do know that I feel pretty in awe of the interconnectedness the definition of our biosphere confirms. In preparation for this message, Lynn Brandt was kind enough to send me his essay on the seventh principle entitled, On That Interdependent Web. Lynn focuses on the seventh principle because as he writes, the other six principles seem to concern only human beings and human systems. The seventh principle, Lynn writes, is, as unlike, the other, is unlike the other six because it ultimately deals with the wonder of nature as well as the existential threats to humankind. The biosphere is a delicately balanced system where one small part impacts the whole. And humankind is largely, if not entirely, responsible for upsetting that balance. If you were able to attend yesterday's climate drawdown workshop, you may have some fresh insight into exactly how devastating human impact has been on the biosphere we depend on to sustain all life on Earth. In his essay, Lynn uses the example of the food chain required to feed an eagle. He writes, eagles, for instance, do not eat photosynthetic plants. They do not swoop out of the sky to munch on microscopic distems or on water lilies. They eat fish. But the fish the eagles consume eat the smaller fish or insects. Those insects eat the diatoms. Diatoms, diatomes. A diatom, by the way, if you have not heard Lynn explain it, what they are, is a single-celled alga, which is the singular of algae, which has a cell wall of silica. Diatoms are certain minerals. Diatoms use certain minerals and carbon dioxide in the water recycled from organisms processed by fungi and bacteria. If the chain breaks down, the eagles starve. Another example, have you ever visited a lake that has been consumed by a toxic algae bloom? That's an example of a devastated ecological system. You can't safely swim in a lake like that, not that you'd want to, and fish can't survive in water like that either. The whole system has been disrupted and destroyed by some initially small thing, and the eagles starve. The majority of humankind exists unaware of the tenuousness of our natural systems, while meanwhile, the systems designed by humankind, the oil industry is a prime example, are devastating the world at such a rate, we are not only hastening the extinction of millions of species, we're also likely hastening our own. Both Lynn and myself acknowledge the lack of impact individual people can have when it comes to stopping climate change. While there may be small things we all can do from recycling to changing out our light bulbs to committing to only buying used clothing, it feels pretty impossible for a human being to live in such a way that they are not participating in the massive systems which are responsible for the majority of the devastation of our world. Sure, I can drive my car less, but 
I pin the majority of the blame on the oil industry. Sure, I can remove factory farm meat from my diet, but the factory farms and the processing plants are going to remain in business even if I myself abstain from purchasing their products. It can all make me feel, frankly, pretty helpless when confronting the massive dysfunction in this world of ours. But I don't think that ignoring the reality of our systems is the right thing to do either. Instead, I prefer, even if it's uncomfortable, to be as informed and aware as possible about how humankind has pushed this world to this precarious tipping point. I personally want more information, not less. I want to know exactly how dependent we are on these intricate systems. A few days after the massive storms in Texas, I went through a Starbucks drive-through. There was a sign taped on the intercom letting customers know that because of the storms in Texas, Starbucks locations in Iowa didn't have some of their regular menu items or supplies. At first, I was a little surprised, and then I reflected for about two seconds on all that we had learned about at the beginning of the pandemic in terms of how supply chains work and how they can break down. The sous vide egg bites that I love were available, but they were served to me in a yogurt cup instead of the paper sleeve they usually are. Does this mean that the paper sleeves are made in Texas? Well, I don't know but I do know that when one link of the chain breaks down, it renders the whole chain useless until that link can be repaired. You all remember, I'm sure, a year ago in March, when all of the toilet paper in the sh all of the toilet paper shelves in all of the stores were completely empty. Lots of people blamed all of this shortage on panic buying, pinning the responsibility on selfish people who were buying up more than anyone's fair share of home paper products. And yes, there was some of that, but it's a lot more than that. Suddenly, a lot more of us were taking all of our bathroom breaks at home. That immediately necessitated a larger at-home supply of TP. And also that thin flimsy toilet paper in your office bathroom or in the bathrooms of public spaces comes from an entirely different supply chain. Suddenly that supply chain had a surplus with no one to sell it to while at-home paper manufacturers couldn't keep up with the demand and so shortages went on for months. And this was true about a uh, true of just about every supply chain. You know those uh, Tomatoes that you get on a McDonald's hamburger, those aren't the same tomatoes that you buy at the grocery store. They come from entirely different supply chains. So while you couldn't find the tomatoes you wanted at the grocery store, there were thousands of pounds of tomatoes meant for restaurants that rotted in their crates. In May of 2020 in Tacoma, Washington, the National Guard handed out 200,000 pounds of potatoes donated by farmers who typically supplied to restaurants to people in need of food. The farmers couldn't sell their potatoes to the restaurants because the restaurants were closed, but they couldn't sell them to the grocery stores either. Thousands of people drove from several states away to collect potatoes that otherwise would have rotted away. We've developed whole specified systems with each chain providing an essential link to the next. 
And so when those systems are disrupted and break down, all of us are impacted. Systems theory is an interdisciplinary study of systems as they relate to one another within a larger, more complex system. The key concepts of systems theory, regardless of which discipline it's being applied to, is that the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. Our seventh principle, I believe, is a direct nod to systems theory. Now, I've already spoken a lot about systems theory with this congregation over the last several years. We've spent a lot of time considering the system of the CVUU, how all of the different aspects of this community make up and impact the whole. We were already somewhat aware of the impact of systems on our own personal lives, but this past year of pandemic living has exemplified our, interde our interdependent web perhaps more than ever before. I've delivered a lot of sermons over this past year about what I consider to be the dangerous and death-bringing culture of American individualism. Just a few weeks ago when preaching on the scarcity of vaccines, I cautioned us to remember that one signal, single vaccine, while wonderful for the individual who received it, does not protect the whole of us. Don't mistake your privilege for freedom, I urged us. We aren't all free until we all are free, I reminded us. Our cultural veneration of individualism, every person for themselves and themselves alone, was the crux of our failure to stop the spread of COVID and massive government mismanagement, to be fair. I was consistently horrified and disgusted, frankly, by people who were unwilling to inconvenience themselves in even the smallest ways to protect others as COVID, as COVID ravaged the United States. And I admit that it may not be very ministerial of me, but I suspect it'll take me a long time before I feel ready to forgive those who continued to live their lives as normal while well, half a million Americans died from a contagious virus, we all had the opportunity to stop. If only, I must have thought hundreds of times over this last year, if only we all recognized how dependent we are on one another for our surviving and our thriving. So our seventh principle concerns the interconnected nature of the whole of everything. We, each of us, are part of that interconnected web. Each of us represents a single silky strand. Damage one strand and the whole web is at risk of collapse. What has become blaringly apparent to me over this last year is how vital my connections to other people are for my general well-being. I don't exist in a vacuum and I don't want to. At the beginning of this pandemic, I spent a lot of time talking about how loneliness impacts our mental health. Researchers have found that loneliness is just as lethal as smoking 15 cigarettes per day. Lonely people are 50% more likely to die prematurely than those with healthy social relationships. 
The isolation of the last year, even with our virtual connections, has been so hard for so many of us. And I don't know if you're like me, but in a lot of ways, I feel like I fundamentally lost my ability to have normal social interactions. I can't tell you how many times when I've been out in the world interacting with uh, clerks in, in retail stores or uh, even running into people that I know, uh, I have said something uh, bonkers or inappropriate or unintentionally rude uh, during brief passing interactions over the past year. I'm pretty rusty and I'm feeling a little feral. It's going to take all of us some time to remember how to socialize and to reform our connections to one another, even if we have maintained many of them online. But I will never again take for granted the necessity of other people in my life. COVID has shed new light on the millions of ways that we are interconnected. The web is more illuminated than ever before. It is my deep hope as we all begin the process of returning to the world that we are able to sustain our awareness of the tenuous nature of human-made systems, the delicacy of our biosphere and our impact on it, and the essentialness of our connections to one another. Our seventh principle is the respect for the interdependent web of existence of which we all are a part. May we all recognize our part within that web and do our part to respect and to protect it. May it be so because we make it so. Amen and blessed be. This has been the Sunday Messages podcast from Cedar Valley Unitarian Universalists. The music is by Nathan Moore. If you want to learn more about the CVUU, visit our website at www.cedarvalleyuu.org. And you can also find us on Facebook or Instagram at Cedar Valley UU. We welcome visitors to attend our online services on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. Central Time. If you'd like to learn more about joining us for a service, send us an email at cvuupodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.